Is it possible to live a longer quality of life after a heart disease diagnosis? We are the patients who have resolved to become healthier, both physically and mentally. From managing symptoms to managing side effects, from managing medication to managing finances. We share the challenges and the triumphs. Discover what it really means to survive and thrive with a heart condition. This is Living with Heart Disease, a Heart of a Giant production. Here is our host, Samane Uba. Welcome to Living with Heart Disease. My name is Buba, and today I have a co-pilot um, on the call, Burak. And then uh, we're talking to Desiree Allen, which is my lovely wife, my loving partner, my life partner, so many titles. We'll get to that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. So for those that are not familiar with this um, call or this concept, the, the idea is to have a multiple experience um, and then also share it with the world. But uh, my name is Buba. Uh, I chat with inspiring voices, and I think today is a special one because um, we talk to patients, we talk to advocates, we talk to medical doctors, but I think uh, none of this will happen without our support system, and the core of our support system are often our spouses, our life partners, our love loves, and then, um, and especially in my case, my caregiver. And um, So today we have Desiree Allen, and um, we'll let her introduce herself. Hi, Des. Welcome. Thanks for accepting this. You want to tell the world who you are? Hello, world. <laughs> I'm Des. I'm Uba's uh, life partner, wife, I guess, and uh, Barack's mom, Barack's over there in the corner. So it's going to be fun. So I think to get the conversation started, um, I was thinking, where do we start? Where do we start this story? So um, I thought it might be cool to, to give your version of how you met Uba. And then um, I will try my best not to interrupt anything. So this is your chance. Um, how did you meet Booba and, and how did this whole thing start? I met Booba <laughs> some time ago. I don't want to say exact numbers because I never get it right. We were both um, out uh, at a club for our friend's birthdays and uh my version of this story is that Booba um approached me and asked me for my phone number and I said yes and um then he proceeded to uh be very persistent in calling me regularly to check up on me for the next six months, even though I kept trying to brush him off. And eventually it worked. And yeah, fast forward, here we are today. So tell us about today. Where are we today? What's where what where you living today? You mentioned the club, you mentioned South Africa, but where mm-hmm. are we living today and who's here with us? Where we're living today, we're in Milton Mass in the US, myself and Booba, and our eldest Barack, who's now seven. Hi Barack. Um and we have twins who are three years old, and luckily this coincides with their nap time. Maybe that was by design, Booba. Uh, and then we live in the same city as my mom, my dad, my aunt, my cousins. Um, just lots and lots and lots of family. Love it, love it. So we'll get back to how we, you know, 
I'm trying to, I'm going to mix it up between personal and direct and stuff, but um, we'll get back to how we got to Boston, but I wanted to uh, sh- share a picture uh, that might take you back and then you want to tell the folks about it. When was this? Or where was this? Okay, so I'm not good at when. I am good at where. So this was in Mozambique uh, a little after we met. We went on vacation there. And this was, um, I think it was like a lagoon or something. And a spa day. So this is a really great memory. It's cool. I think it's one of our favorite pictures. And you try, you know, it's like a drug. You try to get the next one. It never comes. But um, yeah, I remember. I think it was August. 2012. Uh, yeah, it was a great trip. And obviously, you played a plenty of trips. And so we went away. And I think what was nice about this trip is that phones were not working. We had no network. So <laughs> we had to be present. Um, you want to tell folks about any cool memories from that place? I remember, I have my own, but I might be different from you. Uh, you remember Jody Cash? Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite memories from that, from that trip. We uh, met this young man uh on the beach and when we said what's your well he was um what was he doing he was selling things maybe i think it was hats yeah he was selling he was selling hats um and he was clearly the leader and clearly a very um experienced sales person and so we asked him what's his name and he said his name is johnny cash and so ever since then johnny cash has played a special part in our lives (laughs) Yeah, no, that, that was a special one because that's all he knew. He had Jody Cash, and I'm like, do you know Jody Cash? I, did, I mean, we knew a little bit. I didn't know a little bit. You probably know more. Yeah. But that was interesting. Um, and yeah, so fast forward to 2016 when I was at the ICU. Um, we're going to do a bit of this, but let's fast forward. And was it ICU or out of? No, it was before my Elbert operation, and you went to get me that t shirt. You remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I think that's when we ended up having to move here to Boston. Um, that must have been October of... Yeah, 2016. 2016. I think it was... My, oh, yeah, it was my 30th birthday. I forgot myself. So, Bubba came to the States not planning to um, be here very long. So he came in the summer months. And then his birthday came and we were still in Boston. And, uh, oh, my gosh. What picture... How, where are these pictures coming from? <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, so I went out and got him a bunch of clothes, including like sweaters and stuff, because it's going to start to get cold. And I found a Johnny Cash. Yeah. So, nice. Where is this? This is not in the U.S. This was not in the U.S. I see. I didn't know she even went to the University of Pretoria, but I see the University of Pretoria in the back. This is um, the day uh, you found out about Borak, or maybe no, it was maybe the like a follow up, um, follow up scan. I cannot show the next picture. Yeah, I'm doing a few of a few spot memories, like you know, and the milestones that will will connect them. But uh, I wanted to take you back to South Africa, and this was with you and your great doctor. I don't know if you remember her name. Um, she was, uh, yeah, Doctor Pile. There you go. She was amazing. Um, you want to tell us about? Maybe like that day or that experience, um, because now we were, we just found out we were pregnant, um, and with everything going on, um, just want to kind of take, take, take you back or take folks back and kind of hear you about your, uh, what was your you know, state of mind at that, at that time? Maybe some of the things that were going on as we, um, you know, we fill in the gaps. Yeah. So, um, 
on that day. I think that was about a year. Was it a year after we found out about your diagnosis? Um, I was working like crazy. We were trying to figure out what was next in terms of um, whether we'd stay in South Africa or move to Senegal. There was a lot happening, lots of transition. Um, and I was caught completely off guard. I think I was, I went to the, the doctor for something else for a follow-up um, appointment. And yeah, I was pretty surprised when I found out about Barack. So that was fun. Um, I think Booba called it that morning though, because he said, I think you're pregnant. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Um, and he was right. I cannot so, tell you why, but I just knew. That's, that's why this boy is special. That was a big surprise. And now he's seven. Seven, man. Now he's trying to make his own sandwich instead of being next to me doing the, the video. I guess we didn't feed him. Meme, your grandmother is on a call, but I, I, you know, we feed him, Meme. He just didn't eat enough. Uh, so, all right, let's go back to that day, that big day where um, I guess it was a, a beautiful Saturday. Um, and we had probably had big plans or maybe plans to just chill and then. We ended up going to the ER. I'm still curious to know. Um, I want to hear more, and I think folks will be curious to know um, the beginning of the condition or the onset of the the day of the diagnosis, and then um, and you know how we navigated those first few days. But I think um, I, I said my version many times, so folks probably want to hear from your side. So tell us, take us through the steps. Like it's Saturday afternoon, probably around this time, um, and and then what happened. Uh, 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 yeah, so give us, give us, take us back for a second. This was in October? No. When did uh, we find out? December, December. December. We'd moved in together in October. Yeah. And um, we had a plan, we planned a trip to go to Durb, no, to Durban for New Year's. So that was in the plans. We just moved in together. Um, it was a pretty exciting time, uh, and usually Saturdays were errands and then um, some sort of Saturday market, um, and I don't know, like running errands, going for brunch, something like that. And so Ruba, when, when he moved in, um, shortly after he moved in, or maybe before, he was coughing quite a bit, um, and we thought it was flu, if I remember correctly. So he was going to his doctor, he was going, like, his primary care. Um, they kept saying, like, you know, if it's if it's the flu, it'll, you know, pass or whatever the case was. Um, I was making him, like, different teas, like ginger tea and all of this stuff. Um, please note, we had just moved in together, so I was also trying to, like, you know, like, be nice. <laughs> Um, so I was trying to do all these things to help him feel better. And this on this particular Saturday, he said, um, um, I really think we should go into the hospital. And in my head, I was really thinking, like, I really thought he was being a big baby. I was like, you know, he has the flu. Like, why are we going to go to the ER? Um, but anyway, we drove to the ER and I waited with him for a little bit. But I think when they called him in, maybe they didn't allow other folks to go in. I don't know why I wasn't with you, but I was out in the car waiting. Um, and I was quite annoyed. I'm like, oh, it's such a beautiful Saturday. I don't want to spend the rest of the day like sitting in the hospital just for him to have to like drink fluids or something. 
Um, and then I remember it was taking forever. So I went in to check and he was no longer in the ER. They had brought him up for imaging. Um, so they were, I think, explaining his lungs. So I was waiting with him there. And then we went back down to the ER. Um, and then a doctor came in who I actually hadn't seen him before. And he said, okay, well, we figured out why you're coughing. Um, your heart's too big. So that was not what I expected to hear. Um, I think at this point we thought maybe pneumonia, maybe like worst case scenario, TB or something, like some sort of respiratory conundrum. So uh, yeah, he said his heart's too big. And of course I was like, what do you mean too big? And like, when we say too big, how big are we talking about? I was like, can I see the x-ray? Not that I would even know. I don't even know how big a heart's supposed to be. You had um, a pen and paper, by the way. I had a pen and paper. I don't remember that part, but okay. <laughs> I probably did. Um, and then he told us that first thing on Monday, he'd need to see a cardiologist. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I understood how serious it was at that point. But um, yeah, we, we found out soon after how serious it was. And, and I think I remember, um, I wasn't quite, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't listening after the moment, but I remember going home and we were trying to check the life expectancy of, well, I think I did. I don't know if you were part of that life expectancy of um, dilated cardiomyopathy. And so we went on, on Google and then we went to the doctor on that Tuesday. But um, I, I think, I don't know, maybe, you know, we talked about this a few times, but nothing, maybe in an organized manner. So I, I still want to know, like, your mindset or some of the emotions you were going through, um, you know, those first few days. I know you were like, you know, you were trying to make sure I was fine and I was just miserable. Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly, I think I just went into like response mode, right? So I knew that to go to the doctor, I had maybe half a million questions <laughs> for the cardiologist. I think in the time between that Saturday and that Tuesday when we saw the cardiologist, I asked everyone I knew like who was the best cardiologist that they would recommend in Joburg. Um, and now I can't remember his name, but it was the same one that you were seeing. So I felt better about that. Uh, I don't remember Googling as much. I do remember... Um, I just remember having questions around like why, like where did this come from? I, I need to better understand why he has it. Um, and so I was pretty frustrated that they didn't have an answer for that. Um, but they seemed pretty confident in the treatment. So uh, I was pretty optimistic, I think, after that first meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I think the doctor was good. Um, and because uh, I had my primary. Um, and then he, he, could, he didn't pick up the phone that weekend because uh, he was at a conference. So after the diagnosis, we went to him. And I think we we're talking about second opinions also. Uh, and he was like, uh, this guy is the one who taught all the cardiologists in this country. It's like top two or something. Um, but he was, I think doctor, his, his name is Dr. Len, um, Len um, Steingo. He, he was very uh, calm. I don't know if you remember that. He was like, like you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. And. And then, uh, you know, I remember just going home a little bit, you know, um, um, calmer, I guess. Uh, but then the medication kicked in. <laughs> and that was a tough few, tough 10 days, I would say, because uh, I didn't go to work. And then I was still coughing, vomit. I don't know if I was vomiting, but yeah, that was, those were tough few days. 
Um, we still had to go to end of the year function with you. We did that. Um, and then uh, I think, yeah, two, three weeks after we had to go to, we went to Durban. Um, I'm sure I have a picture somewhere, but, uh, but I wanted to, yeah, the first month, I guess, first month, first six weeks, because uh, on my side, I know I got, you know, I feel, started to feel better, but there was a lot of things happening. I remember there was African Cup in Durban, and I just wanted to go there. Um, so after our New Year's Eve, I still went to all the, I guess, games that happened in Durban. So which is, Durban, we live in Joburg, for those who don't know, Durban is about, um, I think, six-hour drive. Is it six hours? Probably six or more. So I, in the house, what I remember, I guess, from my side, probably, is that I had no energy for nothing else. But like when he talked about Mali, I would be going, uh, which meant that I would take the bus to Durban. And some days we had to take the car. Um, so I think I actually took, was it your car we took? Um, and then went to Durban overnight. But yeah, I just remember because that was around the same time the Mali crisis was picking up. So I was, mo I was also focused on that. But uh, I know I only had energy for half a day, and a lot of time I'll just let's say the same weekend issues. I will, I'll go play football. Uh, that's soccer for the Americans. I'll go football in the morning and come back home and spend it, you know, basically the afternoon napping. But I know it was, you know, it must have been a lot, and I, I know I wasn't communicating a lot even when I went to the therapist um, those early days. Um, but yeah, I think I'm also kind of putting everything there so to give you time to like take us through and share. But what was those first, let's say, you know, four weeks, six weeks, two months for you? Um, and then maybe take us through those steps um, as you lived it. Yeah, uh, it was a super confusing time for me um, because I couldn't, I, I mean, I honestly, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to find out that you have a heart condition that's not curable, right? Um, and I think at that point we understood that we still didn't know why you had it. And we were told that like, if there was like a 30, 30, 30 chance, right? Like, or 33, like there was one third, one third, one third. So one third chance that you would recover, another third that you would um, stay the same and third that you would deteriorate. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, he's pretty young. He's really healthy. So of course, like he's just going to get better. Like the heart's going to um start to heal itself um so that was my mindset um i don't think i appreciated how much the medication the adjustment period for the medication was because you got worse before you got better and that was really confusing i think the other piece that you're talking about and i don't know if there are patients on the line and and all of this but the communication piece was beyond hard because i knew that things weren't okay but i kept being told they were okay so then I was wondering, is it me? So I think I spent the first three to four years of this disease trying to figure out what I was doing that was making it worse. <laughs> um, I think the other part that was hard was understanding how you would use your energy, right? Because like at home, you were exhausted. And so your decision-making at the time seemed questionable at best. <laughs> You'd come home and just be like literally flat out, like you would sleep for like a day. And then the next thing I know, you're like, oh, I'm going to Africa Cup in Durban. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to Africa Cup in Durban? And then I'm seeing you on TV and the stadium um, turning up like you, like there's 
like you're just a regular guy, right? Um, so it was it was super frustrating. It was um, it was really hard. So I think that was. I pray that that was our test. <laughs> um, but it just required a lot of. Um, I don't even think patience is the word because I don't know that I had patience, but just trying to keep communicating um, and to adapt to just what every day would bring. No, that's great. That's great. I think that's um, a lot of insightful. One thing I heard, I hear, and you know, some of these things we didn't know at first, but as a caregiver, you, you know, well, you already took on a caregiver or you were, I think you know, this way when we were just dating and obviously one question for me was like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't even, I was done with life, I guess, in a way. So I was trying to find something to, to, to live for. I think for me it was tough because I was, I had a plan, I guess we go to South Africa, study work and then come back home at an age of 27, 28, you know, and then, you know, take it from there. So then overnight, you know, I'm like, ah, five more years to live. Then I try not to think about that. So I think it was, it was just, you know, trying to escape at some point, but also figuring out what was going on. And then my body was just uncontrollable. Like I didn't know. I knew some things that would give me energy. I knew some things that I had to do because I was committing to it. And then uh, um, the good distraction, I guess, what helped, I think, in hindsight was with the crisis going on in Mali, I just didn't want to complain more because I'm like, I already have my health. So try to be useful, productive there. Uh, so that's why the World Vive Mali thing started, uh, working with the foundation, which you helped name and even, you know, design, I guess, because uh, I was trying to figure out what's the name. Wanted to be friends of Mali and it didn't work. And you were like, whatever, the Viva Mali or something. And I'm like, okay, let's make it be Mali. But um, despite all the frustrating things, you were still supportive. So for me, I don't know, I probably said this a few times, but like that was very helpful for me. Um, so I just want to also say that publicly because I was done with myself and I'm like, why is this woman still trying to love me? I'm like, you know, you know, it's a young guy, but you know, he's, he's done. Um, but you were still there. So it meant a lot. I didn't take it for granted, but I also didn't know how to be that partner back. Um, so thanks for being patient. But I think it's for those that might be either in, in a similar position for you, or how, um, like you, how did you, like, you know, caregivers also need a caregiver, right? How did you care for yourself? Where did you get your coping mechanism? Um, like what coping mechanism you had, but what did you, how did you get to, to fuel those um, and literally survive? Uh, while we went through that period, because um, I think work was also challenging. Like, you know, you were busy consulting, traveling, and all this worrying, you know, uncertainty adding to it. So I, I want to know how you how you navigated through that and how you, uh, what kind of support you got. It might be in hindsight, but um, how, how you made it through. Yeah, um, that's a good question. <laughs> One that I'm not really sure it's how to answer, because I think, like hearing you describe it now in terms of your mindset, I didn't I didn't understand that's where you were then. Like I didn't understand, yeah, like just how aware you were of your mortality at that point. Because I don't think you shared that at that time. And because you were being so active and like starting a new organization and all of that, 
I thought you were being optimistic, which then enabled me to be optimistic, right? So in a lot of ways, as much as it was incredibly hard to see, I saw two Bubas, right? I saw the Buba that was out there in the world, and then I saw the Buba that I got when he was at home, and they were fundamentally different people. <laughs> I Part of what got me through, honestly, I was almost too busy to just sit down and think about it, right? I was traveling a lot, a ton for work, um, super busy there. So that kept me going. Um, and frankly, like we found out in November and then by the next November, we found out about Barack. So once we found out about Barack, that just like changed a whole whole bunch of stuff. Um, we were both so busy that there wasn't a ton of time to, at least for me, to have the full um, weight of it hit me. And I think very quickly we had other meaning in our life that that surpassed the the diagnosis. So once we found out about Barack, that really prompted like the move to Senegal and all of that. Um, but also in terms of support networks, I was really fortunate when I was in Joburg. Um, my family was far away, and they were definitely very supportive. Although they may have had a hard time understanding what exactly the diagnosis was. But um, in South Africa, I had a really close group, group of friends, like folks who, yeah, they're like sisters, right? And so I saw them all the time, uh, went to church with them, had lunch with them, um, hung out with them. So it really made a huge difference to have that support network. Um, yeah, because otherwise it would have been too much, I think. <laughs> No, definitely, and I think um, it's it's hard because you have a you had a good group, uh, so I don't want to forget anyone. But I think you had very good friends that were also insightful. I guess from the health perspective, I can think of um, Karin, um, and I can think of Nana. Nana introduced me actually to um, to another person that was diagnosed um, a few years before me uh, with a similar condition, but he was he was supposed to a viral infection, so. Um, it was a German guy in Pretoria. Uh, and also, I think, um, yeah, I think, you know, having the, your friends around and then them being able to keep you active, you know, you remember the uh, Adventure adventure Club? That was the name, right? Because I remember you wanted us to kind of do things regularly. And uh, I wasn't in the mood all the time and I wasn't also up to it. Um, so we somehow came up with that name and it just made it happen for a year where every month you went. Um, on to do something. I think I came to one or two of those events. Um, I came to the go-karting and somehow you beat me in there. Since then, your driving hasn't been as fast anymore, as reckless. I guess people blame Burak for that. But uh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to all your friends. Um, Vimbai, I'm, I'm losing some names, but yeah, I don't want to be in more trouble that I've been in already. Uh, but yeah, I think um, that was helpful. And then, you know, your... Meme is here, so I gotta give a shout out to the best. Uh, Meme will, will will tell the world why you're the best, and I'll tell the world how to find a, a, a what is it better half of me. I'll, I'll answer those questions myself, and then we'll get to that. But um, I have a, another picture I wanted to share, and I think it will be um, that's that was a good transition to uh, to what you said after Burak was born, and um, and I think for the backstory, uh, we had we went out like we will go away every month or so we'll, or every other week 
will go away. And I remember one of those um, getaways. Um, is it was Valley? Was it Valley Lodge? Valley Lodge or something? Something yeah. like that. So okay, we went away. The other place was uh, Shangri-La. That's my my boss at the time suggested that. So one weekend we went to Shangri-La. We wanted to do the whole weekend, but my friend came back from Mozambique. Surprise. So we cut that sh trip short. And the following trip, we went to um, Valley Lodge. And, but then I remember we were sitting and we started talking, you know, how many kids, this and that. And I was joking. And I said, you know what? I get it on two and a half. And I was like, the first one would be a boy. And then the second one would be twin girls. And then I guess that was around the time, you know, we kind of knew we were going to be engaged and stuff, started making plans for that. Uh, and in between, but I decided to pop his head. Um, but yeah, so I did this engagement with you being nauseous. I apologize. I just had, I had no other choice because my, my, a week after that, I was traveling back home and we wanted to, you know, the plan was to go home and meet the families um, that December. And then we're going to meet your parents after that. So things went forward. But fast forward to, you know, you mentioned Senegal. I, I wanted to know, uh, folks might be interested to know why, you know, you left South Africa um, to come to Senegal and maybe tell us a little bit about that experience. I think this is you in a taxi in Dakar, uh, good old days. Uh, I guess the taxi is all torn, but yeah, let's tell folks about it. And I'm not going to hold anything against you. So we have a Nigerian group, so she cannot, she knows I won't be able to lie. Hi, Fatima. I have so many questions. Like, where are you getting all these pictures? <laughs> so tell folks about Dakar, like the transition to Dakar and then, you know, why Dakar and how was the Dakar experience for you, yeah. I guess, the first few years? So why Dakar, um, we were, I think we were both ready to, we loved South Africa, but we were both ready to kind of move on from South Africa. I mean, Joburg is one of those places where um, it can be home, but it, 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 the lifestyle there is just very different, right? Um, because of the, the security issues and all of that. Um, and we wanted to be, so you wanted to be closer to home. I thought it would be good to be closer to home. Once we found out about Barack, for sure, be closer to home. Um, for career reasons, also, I was ready to kind of try different parts of the firm that I was working with. So the car seemed like a nice middle ground, right? Like, it's pretty, um, you know, it's like a lot of folks come through the car often. Um, it's a bustling city. It's closer to the U.S., it's half of the Joburg, New York flight, so <laughs> that was an improvement. Um, and transition to Dakar was hard uh, at first. So, you know, Barack was, I think, three months at the time. Um, we had put everything into a shipping container, thanks to my parents and their support with that. Because uh, otherwise, we would have had nothing anywhere. <laughs> no. um, and then, you know, we moved to Dakar. I knew, like, a little bit of French, not a ton. Where did you uh, learn the French? I learned the French at Alliance Francaise while I was pregnant. And then the rest of it, I just learned by sheer survival. Because Buba, when I joined, when I came to Dakar with my mom, my mom came with me and Barack. Uber was working. Um, we were trying to find an apartment. You had a conference in Ireland, I think, when we had to do the whole apartment signing thing. So it was it was super hectic. But once we were settled in, I, I absolutely loved it. Um, I still love it. Um, 
I could see myself living there for, um, I never say forever, but for an incredibly long period of time. Um, Barack loved it. Uh, even though he was little, he was fully Senegalese. I think he understood Wolof. He spoke a little Wolof. He was French was his first language. Um, so he was fully immersed there. Uh, and I was having a blast while I was there as well. Um, I think it was good. It was hard, but it was good. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I think it was great. I remember, I guess it was part of the, um, the reaction to my the condition, and I was like, yeah, I got to go home. But I think in between, we were talking about um, retiring, and I was like, when I retire, I'll be working at a farm. And then I was like, hey, no, now I got to go back to Mali. And she was like, no, we're not going to go there, especially with the situation there. It was very hard. Uh, so Dakar, you know, I was born in Dakar, uh, never really grew up there. I just visited like every year, but it was different. So it was a new place, but it was like, you know, home too. Um, so somehow it was a culture shock, I think, for all of us, but, you know, more so for this, because now I was supposed to be the one translating in between and I was still figuring it out. I just remember every time I just shake my head, I'm like, this is beautiful. I just had to be positive about it. And now I cannot use that word anymore. But um, um, but I remember, I think partly also, um, I have a picture here that might make you, um, uh, that might that be helpful in sharing my, kind of my mindset. I remember, uh, you know, Dakar has like the beach everywhere. And then, um, but I wasn't always going to the beach. I wasn't always keen on doing it. And, you know, I wasn't very supportive, I guess, in that moment. You were not um, keen on doing it. <laughs> so, 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 uh, I think, I think it's important. And this is like me and Burak. And, um, now that I look back, it looks very ridiculous. I'm at a beach. Um, I don't know if anybody sees anything irregular, but I'm literally in jeans. Um, and I don't think we went to swim per se, but, it was a, it's, it's kind of hard to 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 enjoy this. And in Heinz, uh, I guess as I think back, it's the only explanation I have is that it had to be depression. I do love the beach. I used to go to the beach a lot, and you know I could swim at this moment. I think if I wanted to, we did swim at the pool a few times, but I don't think I went into you know, the sea with you, or maybe Burak did with the kids. But yeah, I just I think this part. We need to kind of, we need to hear your part of this. Um, so yeah, maybe tell us about some of these social outings. Uh, Cause I was still active with the community, which you probably would say that I had energy for. Um, but yeah, so tell us a little bit about this kind of social events. How did you live this moment? Yeah, I mean, this picture is an interesting one. Cause I love these pictures of you and Barack on the beach. I also know what it took for us to even get there that day. Um, yeah, you know, it's going to be hard for people on the call to understand this, but like, and it's only now looking back that I understand it even. But you were just doing pretty much anything. <laughs> I can laugh about it now. Uh, I'd say, hey, babe, like, let's go to the beach. No. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who doesn't want to go to the beach? Then we go to the beach and he would like refuse to wear shorts, refuse to like, I don't know. It was just, it was a very bizarre um, thing for me. 
Um, I, I didn't understand it. And I and we went through the same thing in Durban, that that trip that we took right after we found out about the diagnosis. Like you absolutely didn't want to do anything down there. Um, and I couldn't understand it at the time. Um, and I think there were a few times when I had to get probably pretty aggressive in order for us <laughs> to go to the beach, which it, like I can laugh about it now because it seems so weird. And I think the irony is like at that time, like you said, you very well could swim. Like there was nothing stopping you from actually partaking in swimming. Now when we go to the beach, it's, you know, you can't do that. Um, I think the other part for me was hard. It was similar to what we talked about before, just the boobah that we had at home and the boobah that was in the world with two different boobahs. And I understand it now, like we had to find something to live for, really. Um, maybe, maybe that's what it was. I mean, I cannot, you know, like I cannot say anything in my defense, you know, um, um, I'm not, I cannot try to even defend it. I think, I think it was like the logical explanation is just I was just probably depressed and exhausted and everything. But I know at the time, um, was it, I think the job was not great, right? Um, so had a tough work environment. Um, and this was even before starting Yellen. Um, and then I will, yeah, I just didn't know how to cope. And as much as I was close to home, my parents were still in, you know, Mali. I was a bit, <laughs> uh, enough respect. There's enough respect for, for sure. You I agree. Some audience members. I feel like yeah. we've been talking so much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I think it was tricky, but you know, as we started traveling, um, back home and stuff, I started to kind of lighten up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was just that old grumpy guy and the irony, like you said, well, there's a lot of ironies, but as, as we started to get better, like the second year, I remember that, you know, the whiteboard session um, where we decided, okay, this is our plan. You know, we've been here two years, so let's kind of take over the world. Let's downgrade. So this was January. And I remember, you know, we were talking to Orange, you know, big deals on the way. Um, and and then I remember soon after that, I started coughing again, like maybe Feb, Feb, March, probably March. Much was rough because I was just coughing um, and we couldn't control it until I went to Dakar in April. Um, so, but yeah, I think, I think there's like two, two, three parts here before we get to June. But the beginning of the year was, uh, I think things were okay by then. Like we were positive looking up, you know, we had plans to go for, and um, I didn't explain this, but Orange is like the number one telecommunication company in, I guess, part, big part of Africa. Uh, it's a French company. Um, um, so we were working, um, our company Yellen was the energy saving company. So we were going to have a deal with them to pilot our program. And our strategy was this, that, you know, we were confident that we could deliver, but the goal was to deliver it with them and then use that as our reference everywhere. And then Orange had like, they have like 2000 sites just in Senegal. And then they have Mali, which is biggest. So we were very excited about that. So to me, that was my focus. And I remember, even though I was sick, I'll be in the car. I actually ended up having my friends drive me around. 
uh, I'll just be coughing even sometimes in the meetings, but they will be like, oh no, yeah, you, you know, you're from South Africa, you're not tough like us. So, you know, it's allergies and, you know, we, I, we did everything, asthma, asthma. But, uh, but before that, I remember there was a beginning of the year that was great. We were excited. And then there was a second part where I was very, very sick and we still had to travel and do all of that. I think that was a very tough part because, um, similar, we were very close to, um, uh, and I remember having this conversation, I think with, with you and then even Dr. Nicole at some point, but there was this part about me. Um, there was an option to go to South Africa. I remember my doctor wanted me to go back there. Uh, and I, I was considering that, but I don't think I was ready to pull the gun on it. Uh, it was the same thing about coming to Boston. Um, uh, and, and then um, we also know that Yellen was on the way. So I was thinking after Yellen will come to Boston uh, and, you know, get more care if I needed to. Um, and then in between, we did, I did get, a you know, kind of, I guess, under control, but it wasn't enough, I guess, with the trip. Uh, I'll kind of rephrase this for everybody for context, but I, I think I, I want to, I would like to hear about the beginning of that year for you and, you know, what, are, what were some of our plans and kind of where we were, um, uh, when that year began, um, which was, a, you know, I guess the year, everything kind of changed again, but, um, we want, I want to hear like your version. Yeah. The longest one I have to play. <laughs> All right. Boo is just calling Barack. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, it was really, it was, it's, it's funny in some ways because it was very similar to where we were when we got the diagnosis the first time, right? Like we just moved in together. We had all these plans, like so many plans. <laughs> um, and then that year, I think we understood the car a lot better finally, right? We understood what was what um, and how the city worked. And um, we both had plans for aspirations that were pretty entrepreneurial yeah and so we had plans to kind of move when you were talking about downgrading we were going to move into a smaller apartment which was going to be like much cheaper and we were going to save for a few years so that we could buy a place um and also so that we could start um either investing in other businesses locally or in funding some of our own um startup ideas so that was that was a dream and it was like we have it pretty well laid out. Um, and then Booba had the opportunity. I think he did the Yali application and that was going to help you advance your um, energy consulting business. I was kind of making way in my consulting career. So it was great. It was really, it was an exciting time. Um, we could see a path to really like getting our footing in the car and like making the moves that we wanted to make. Um, at least career-wise. Um, I'm trying to get the month straight. When did you start coughing again? March? March, yeah. I think it was beginning of March. Um, it was end of March. I think it was after my grandfather passed. Yeah. Sorry, end of, uh, end of February. So, yeah, it was around that time because uh, I had kind of that milestone in March. Yeah, I don't remember what was leading up to that, but I do remember you started coughing. Um, and it got pretty out of hand pretty quickly. So I don't know a lot of the other folks. Well, I do. Let me get that back. So my mom, my brother. Oh, hi, Dr. Nicole. If anyone else has a cardiomyopathy type reference point. But um, 
It was a dry cough, like you were just coughing, coughing, coughing. And then it turned into, um, you were coughing up water, a lot of water. So Booba was literally driving around the car with a, a bucket in the car so that he could catch the water that he was coughing up. Um, I don't know what your energy level was doing because you were still pushing yourself quite hard. So this was another period of time where I found his decision-making questionable at best. And I think he had ended up going to like 10 doctors in the car. So we saw respiratory folks and um, primary care. We got someone from... We were trying to get someone from Peace Corps to get us a, a medical reference. Like we were trying to see all of the specialists, trying to get to the best doctor. The cardiologist kept telling us it wasn't necessarily the heart. I think that he was thinking it was something yeah, so else. Yes, I had my cardiologist, um, and that's the the challenge was that he's kind of one of the top cardiologists in Dakar. But a lot of time, anytime I had my episode, it was not there. Like he was traveling or something, so we'll send somebody else. Um, so when I was really sick, it was, it was not there. And then, um, when I was kind of seeing him, things, symptoms were going away, but he, he, there was only, you only had like the echo and, 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 you know, a few things to test, but to your point, yeah, I had, I saw, so I hope I saw one cardiologist when I was hospitalized. Then, um, my cardiologist came back. Then I saw another internist. Then I saw... <laughs> Uh, ear, nose, and throat. Another uh, lung doctor. So it was it was a lot of people, um, and it was frustrating. And then I also saw like the Bisco lady you mentioned, uh, yeah. the the primary doctor. But and then you yeah. had a ton of meds. That's all I remember. Like yeah. in addition to the meds you were already taking, I think you had two different inhalers for pneumonia. And I'm sorry for um asthma. For asthma, and you'd never had asthma before, but there were two different asthma inhalers. I think at one point they had you on an oxygen tank. So he had an oxygen tank at home that had these little, like, little nostril things. And um, the crazy part was that Barack was two at the time, and he thought this was, like, the coolest thing ever. So he, like, asked us to please make him... Like, he wanted his own. So he was wearing, like, headphones or something. Like, he put headphones around his his um, nose, it was just, it was, it was nuts. Um, and it was scary because I just didn't know what was happening or what was the best thing. I remember begging Booba, like, can we please go somewhere else, like either to South Africa or to the U.S. Um, and I don't know if you guys know Booba well, but he's, he, he can be incredibly um, stubborn. So um, he's like, no, 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 like, this is going to work. This is going to work. And I was like, okay, but this is, yeah, it just was a really, really stressful time. And I think the scariest point might have been we, at some point he felt like he was getting better. But I mean, you know, when people throw enough medications at you, at some point you do feel like you're getting getting better. Um, And we went away to, there's like a small island just off the coast of, of Dakar. So we went there for the weekend and I remember <laughs> I remember we woke up the next morning and I look over at Booba and his face was just like it was just I can't describe it. You have to see it to understand it. But he was just bloated, um, completely bloated. 
And so I was like, dude, something's going on because your, your face is totally blurry. So we went back. And by the time we got back, the blooper, his ankles, I guess. I didn't notice his ankles. So I was like, he's got big ankles anyway. But um, his ankles were swelling. And then you said you felt it all the way up to your, to your back, which there's a medical term for this. But this was probably a... Yeah, it, it was... Um, I mean, I was returning blood, I think. I'm sorry, I was returning water. Yeah. So my a friend of ours, when we were kind of going talking to them about this whole thing, they had a really great name for it, which was um, I think they called it uh, medical theater, and that was really hard because I knew that a lot of the doctors we were meeting with they were at, they were like um, very well trained, etc. It's just that like the overall circumstances that we were in were limited, and I remember taking him to a hospital once. Um, because his aunt, who's a pediatrician, said that he he really needs to be monitored and we need to figure out what this is. So we checked him in and it was essentially um, like a bed and breakfast. I, I know <laughs> like that's basically what it was set up as. Like they took a house and converted it into a medical clinic or a private hospital. Um, you know, Booba had to walk up several stairs to get to his room. And this was a point in time when he couldn't do much without having to stop and like cough up water or like take, catch his breath. Um, the room that he was in, the medical call button didn't work. So the nurse gave him his cell phone number um, in case of an emergency. Now, I don't know if anyone on the call has ever been in the hospital with a medical condition, but like, probably the last thing you're going to be able to do in the event of an medical emergency is like unlock your phone and look for the nurse's cell phone number to call them and ask them to please come upstairs and help you. Um, it was really frustrating because I just was like, I'm dropping him off here and I have zero confidence that if anything really were to happen, that they would be able to help him. Um, so it was really scary. At some point, yeah, you I think at some point I realized that you weren't actually telling them the full I was, I was, it was just not, I, the, so at some point my mom was like, this is taking too long. You said, you you know, this has been going on too long. And my dad is like, yeah. So then I think around the same time you call her and she flew to Dakar, Dakar next to me. Yeah. Um, and when you went to Mali, you got much better, but that's because they, they put you on the diet. Yeah. So in Dakar, in Bamako, I had, um, I basically went to one of the professors and um, we went to see him actually at night and he was like, yeah, you just because what happened with I did the echoes and all this stuff and then CT scan, all these tests. For some reason, they couldn't see that I was having water up to in, inside my lung at some point. So he didn't even have to examine me much. He looks at all the film. He's like, but this is water. This is, you know, this is uh, liquid. And then it's like, yeah, um, I can treat, um, let's, let's stabilize you, let's treat you. Um, and then maybe two, three days. Yeah, I felt I felt really good because I, you know, I lost all those, all the water was gone, um, and that was April, and then um, I was feeling better. I felt like yeah, we had kind of rode that wave, and I was getting back to normal. Um, and then he brought us to yeah, to brought us to to May. May was fine, and then June, 15, 16 of June, flew to California. I think it was a Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday. Yeah, it hit me. Um, and I just knew the signs. And I was like, yeah, no, I got to go to the hospital. 
Um, the challenges are before that, I actually emailed them like, yeah, when I come, can I see a cardiologist just to make sure, you know, they can you know, optimize my care and stuff. So when I went there, they had, you know, they used my medical record, but it was only so much they can use. Most of it was in French. Um, so they did a full workup. And then um, luckily that's when they noticed that I was having uh, VTAC. Um, that's, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have that monitoring back in Senegal or even in South Africa, because probably because I wasn't that bad in, in South Africa, but in Senegal, they probably just didn't have the means. Uh, so during the telemetry, they noticed that I was sick. So essentially, um, this second, this last part might be fast because we could have another follow-up conversation, but I think when I jumped that episode, uh, where, you know, the first, those six weeks in California, um, and then, which is <laughs> another interesting part. Actually, I won't skip it, but I'm going to have another call because Fadima is here. She's on the call. She's, she was, uh, she's one of the Yali fellows from Nigeria and, uh, she was very helpful. And, um, we're going to have a call with her and hopefully what, you know, I'm putting on the spot now, Fadima, but there'll be more detail that, you know, um, when we have that conversation. But I think, um, from your side, there's, you were, this was me in California. And you were, um, the same week or so your parents arrived in Dakar, um, cause they were going to travel with you to Tanzania with the boys and then also help you with the move. We'll skip the move part, but I think, um, I want to kind of fast forward to the time where the first week I called you talking about the AICD. Um, and then I think I told you no. And I remember what my side of the story is that when I was sick in California that week, um, I think your mom was also sick and then Burak was also sick. So I guess I didn't want to add to it. And I remember initially it was like a Monday or something. They said, let's do an AICD, which is basically to help monitor my, uh, my heart rhythm and then, you know, uh, adjust it as needed. So it's like a pacemaker. Um, but then, um, uh, the Thursday before they discharged me, I was like, you know what? Let's, let's just do it. Um, but I didn't tell you about this part and I'll keep paying for that. But um, likely I put it on because that Sunday I had an episode that could have been feral. They put me on a similar treatment for about that month. I, you know, I thought it would be recovering, but I wasn't getting better. So um, I literally went to the ER three times. But if those first two times, they just, you know, they, they assumed that I was fine. So they gave me GR stuff. So there was no proper treatment. But the third time they did a proper right heart catheterization. Um, they went inside and checked the pressure. And that's when they noticed that I was, um, my heart was a high capacity, um, something they call ejection fraction, which is essentially how much your left ventricle, ventricle is pushing blood out, um, to the rest of your body. And the normal number is about 55 to 70 something percent. I was at 11. But I think deceiving in my case was that I was in all the time I went to the hospital, I was walking and apparently I looked fine. Um, but this, the last time I kind of advocated for myself and eventually, um, so Dr. Shu, who came to treat me and then he's the one you got to talk to when he came to California. But I think, um, to skip a bit of the story and then to go faster, I would want to say if you could tell, tell folks about you being in Tanzania and catching this call. Uh, sorry, receiving this call and having to travel all the way to California. Uh, for those that don't know, you know, this is like one side of Africa on the East Coast. Uh, so you had to come all the way to the West Coast, you know, for Africa and then 
do the long jump over the Atlantic and then jump over the all the US to California. But yeah, so maybe take us through that, you know, that trip and then um um when he came to see me and when he went to buy all those things at the store and all of that. Yeah, so I'm skipping the move, right? Because that that could be that could be 30 minutes in itself. Um so Google is really adept at like not having to be there when people are moving, but that's a different story. <laughs> um he always seems to miss like major logistical events in our life. That was so, before, but now I got it. Now you got it. So we had like I said, I um a two-hour move conversation. <laughs> so my mom was there on the front line. She was going through her own issues because a lot of folks who travel to the car don't realize, but um, if you have any allergies whatsoever, it will tear you up. And I don't I didn't have allergies. And I remember when I went to the car, it came out with a sinus infection. Anyhow, not the point. So um Google was in California. I knew that he wasn't that he'd been to the hospital. I did not know a few things. One, I did not know that he had a actual surgical procedure to put in the AICD. So didn't know that. Two, I don't think I fully understood that he had been to the ER like three times in the span of like a week or two weeks. Um, what I did know is that when he saw the cardiologist, the cardiologist was able to explain why he had dilated cardiomyopathy, which was um, that he was born that way. So that changed. That was a serious moment for us. Um, for me anyway. Because you have to understand, up until this point, the way that we understood the disease was that it was something he contracted. There was no cure, but there was the possibility that if you optimize the environment around his heart, his heart could get better, right? So now that we knew that his heart had never formed uh, properly, I guess, in the first place, it was just one of those moments when you're like, Oh, okay. So this is there is no actual better here. Um, that was good. Um, anyway, so at this point, I was going about life as we had planned it. We talked about this the start of the year being pretty optimistic. So I was following through with everything we planned. We moved into the new apartment. Um, I was kicking off a pretty big project um, for work, and that project was based out of Tanzania. So. We figured, okay, um, my mom and dad could come, help me with the move, and then come with Barack and I to Tanzania for about a month, I think, at the time we were planning. Uh, a month, maybe a few, maybe five weeks. Um, I would work. They would take care of Barack and get to check out a new place because they like to travel. Um, so that's where we were. And the weekend that Uba got checked into ICU, was also the weekend that we decided if we're all the way in Tanzania, we might as well check out Zanzibar, which is a small island known for all sorts of things. Um, it's on the like, anyway, Zanzibar, you can Google it. So <laughs> um, we took a ferry to Zanzibar and then we drove two hours, I think, um, to a resort that was on you know, like a nice beach coast. The cool part was we ran into a really good friend of ours, Nana, who also happened to be in Zanzibar at the same time. And she was the woman who was with me when Barack was born, because that was a different story. Um, when Barack was born, my mom was flying from Boston. Google was in Senegal. And so I was um, there with friends <laughs> giving birth to our firstborn. Um, so 
So we're in Zanzibar. It had been an incredibly stressful few weeks. And my plan that morning was to um, completely unwind. So I was going to like not check email, not check my phone, just be on the beach with Barack and my dad and my mom and just hang out. Um, mom said Zanzibar was lovely for a and It really was. Like, it was pretty cool. So something in me said, you know what, Dad? Like, before you completely disconnect, just like check email one more time and then you can disconnect. And so I did. I checked email one more time. We had to, we were still having breakfast. So it's probably like 9 30, 10. Um, and an email had come through maybe like 45 minutes earlier. And it was basically it said, you know, um, Uber's been admitted to the ICU. If he's not looking good, you need to get home as soon as you can. So I promptly burst into tears. Um and was just like, what is happening? Like, I just like I just started crying. Because obviously, when you hear something like that, you're like, oh, my gosh, you could die. And I'm like, halfway around the world. Um, the second emotion that quickly followed the tears, I was really, really mad. I Because I was just like, wait, he, I had no idea it was this, that it was this bad. I was just like, what is going on? And then my third reaction to immediately follow that was to go into response mode. Um, so I pulled it all the way together. Um, yes, my mom and dad were there. They also stayed calm. They were like, okay, like, what do we need to get done? And at this they point, weren't upset at me? I don't know if they were or not. I would know I was upset enough for both of us. Also, you owe Carlson a big thank you because I called him and I was like, this man. <laughs> Um, so to get to Buba at this point, um, I had we had to backtrack all the way. So two hour drive to the port in Zanzibar, and then get onto a ferry. Mom, do you remember how long the ferry ride was? I think it's like forty five minutes. Mommy was very confused. Um, like we literally had just checked into this hotel and like done all of this. So then. We had spent the first night there. So then now I had to go to the front desk and I was like, I need to get out of here as soon as possible. Um, so for the two hour ride, they had to call, you know, get us a driver to take us back to the other side of the island. In the meantime, I was calling around trying to book tickets for this ferry. Um, there's no way that I could explain what this ferry is like. Um, it is not organized. And it's not like one of these things where you just like buy a ticket and get on the boat. It's it's a hot mess. So um, we get on the ferry. It was a very heroic ride because it was rough seas. At one point, we thought somebody fell off the boat. It was crazy. We get back to um, Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. We get back to the apartment, which we had just gone through like heroic negotiations to secure an apartment for four weeks um, that was fully furnished. So we gone back there. Um, and essentially just went into, I think mom might have been on the call. Well, maybe I was calling to just switch the African flights. So I had to call and try to get our tickets to from Tanzania to Senegal move. Um, and at this point, it was around, by the time we had gotten back to Dar es Salaam, it was like mid-afternoon maybe, um, or towards the evening. And the next available flight left at 3 in the morning. So I was calling frantically trying to make, trying to change the flights, 
Um, thank goodness for my parents because I think they probably paid all of like the change flight fees. Um, meantime, while that was happening, we had to pack up four weeks worth of stuff um, to get the airport transfer and all of this. Uh, we got we went from Tanzania to from Dar es Salaam to Nairobi. Um, that was a 3 a.m. flight from Nairobi to Abidjan and Cote d'Ivoire. That is a, so Dar es Salaam to, to Nairobi is like two hours. Nairobi to, to Ivory Coast is like six, eight. I don't know, but if you have a map, it's clear across the continent, people. Clear across the continent with a two-year-old and your parents and thinking that like any minute your husband could die. Um, so we get through that, we get back to Dakar, we get to Dakar, uh, all of this started on a Monday, then we got to Dakar on Tuesday. And now we're back to this apartment that we literally just moved to, so everything is still in boxes. Um, and then my mom starts calling, remember South African Airways to move our tickets so that we could fly out on the next available flight, which was midnight that night. And um, we have like a little angel at South African Airways who seems to always pick up the phone when we call. <laughs> but I think he was the same one that got my mom her flight when Barack was born. Um, so we booked those flights, packed bags, um, left at midnight to go to Boston. Now this whole time, please note that I have a two-year-old, that we have a two-year-old in tow. And so, again, I don't know if anyone on this call has ever flown with small children. Um, oh, the guy, South Africa's name is Cecil. But um, small children aren't huge fans of flying. Um, Barack definitely hated it. And so he would scream ridiculously from the moment we had to sit in our seats and buckle our seatbelt until about like, 10, 15 minutes into the flight, at which point he basically just passed out from sheer exhaustion. So on this South Africa, the flight from Senegal to South Africa, I thought I finally, Senegal to Boston, I thought I finally had it down. So I figured it out. I was like, okay, if I get his bottle ready, as soon as we get on, I'm going to get him really hungry. As soon as we get on, I'll pop the bottle in. He'll have that to drink. He'll go to sleep and we're going to make it through this. So... Um, the challenge was while all this was happening, I didn't actually have time to go to the store and like get milk. And yes, he was still drinking a bottle at two. Um, we can have a judgment call about that later, but <laughs> we got it right the second time around with the twins. They were weaned off very early. So I bought bottle, I got I bought milk in the airport, um, which in hindsight probably wasn't a good idea because that milk probably was not good. Anyway, so I did all of that and Barack, it worked beautifully. Barack fell asleep. None of us had slept in about two days, so I finally like nodded off and we're on the flight back to the U.S. And Barack's little head pops up and he looks at me and um, he looks a little uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, God, he's going to start screaming. And he did not start screaming. What he did was promptly vomit up the whole bottle of milk. It hit my chest, slid down my shirt, into my bra. <laughs> down my belly into my waistline of my pants um and this was at the beginning of the flight from Dakar to New York which is a six-hour flight so that was fun and exciting um 
made it back to Boston, called my cousin Ian, was like, I need to get from Boston to Northern California. Um, I just bought whatever the first ticket was that we could get. Got to San Francisco, realized I'm like two or three hour drive from UC Davis at this point. It's the middle of the night. Couldn't figure out how to get there. Um, the Uber app, please know I lived in Senegal full time. So I actually didn't have the Uber app on my phone. I didn't have any apps on my phone because like they were you they there was no use for them there. So I, I was trying to download the Uber app. It wouldn't let me. So to this day, I still don't have Uber. I only use Lyft. Um, this is not in any way a promotion. I don't know if you have. Anyway, maybe at one point they can fund it. Lyft is better. So I'm in San Francisco at midnight trying to figure out how to get to UC Davis. I think I had 300 cash on me. Um, my parents were calling. They were trying to figure it out because I was trying to rent a car, but they wouldn't let me rent a car with the cards that I had because it was an international card. It was a whole thing. And then they wouldn't let my parents rent it because I had to have the card physically with me. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I ended up getting in a taxi, like a good old-fashioned 1985 yellow taxi. Um, and the driver, I remember, he was like, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, well, I don't really have much of a choice because my husband's in ICU and I need to get to him as soon as possible. And so he said, okay, if it makes you feel any better, this money is going to go towards helping me pay for my kids' um, softball year, his kid was in softball league or something. I said, actually, it kind of does make me feel better. Anyway, so this three-hour drive, was it three hours? Am I just exaggerating? It did feel like a long drive. I think it was at least two hours. Um, sitting back there, just watching this taxi meter just tick up and up and up. And um, also trying to figure out what's going on with Uber. Like, what am I going to do when I get there? And so the guy, he, obviously he knew that something dramatic was happening for this woman to decide to like take a taxi three hours in the middle of the night. So I explained to him what was going on, um, and he said to me, he said, okay, so here's the thing. Like, there's nothing that you can do right now. And he said, he's at a hospital. He's in very good hands. Your son is in good hands, and you're here. So you just have to be here right now, and that's all you have. And so that helped a lot. So just focus on breathing. And then he said to me, um, you... Because I asked him to please drive me straight to the hospital. Um, and he said, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, you need to go to the hotel. You need to like pull all of this together. Because at this point, guys, like legit, I was a hot mess. Like, he <laughs> said, you need to pull yourself together because he needs to be taken care of. And if you show up looking like this, he's going to feel like he has to take care of you. I said, okay. And so he drove me to the hotel. I got a, I got a nap. Um, I took a shower. I got dressed. And I went to the hospital. And that's, that's how I got there. And that was on, I finally got to the hospital Wednesday morning after getting the email, I think. Um, the equivalent of Sunday in California. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. No, that was great. That was great. And I think it's a good place to, to take a break. Um, 
And I think I'll take a few more questions. Um, but while, I, while folks type that, and then I'll open the mic for everybody. I think one question I may ask earlier is that um, we're going to fast forward, but we're going to kind of come back and, you know, touch on some of these points. Um, so for now, we know the breaking point is when you arrived in, South Africa, um, in California when I was at the ICU. So maybe um, wanted to know how the communication, how has the communication changed? Uh, from the early years, early days. So how we, how's the communication now? It is superb. He actually communicates now, which has miracles happen every day. Um, and this last trip that we had together, when Buber visited me in Munsterat, I think I learned more about him than I have, like, in the whole time we've been together. Um, he actually likes the beach. That blew my mind. <laughs> Because the way this man resisted going to the beach for <laughs> two years we were together, I was like, wait, you what? So you like going to no. the beach? Like, I just had no idea. So we're in a much better place now. I think we should have gone to Montserrat sooner. That's my excuse. Um, it was, yeah, I think, you know, I'm glad that, you know, it's getting better now. It's definitely not easy. I think when we were, we were still getting to know each other and then this yeah. big life event came in. And I guess, you know, me being young, you think you've grown when you're like 25, 26, 27. I guess you're still learning. Um, so there have been some growth, but, you know, I remember your parents, especially your dad, always saying, be patient. Can I do his voice? No, he's going to say that. He'll say, be patient. Um, but I think, um, yeah, your hearing is beautiful. I think to kind of close off from my side and, you know, we'll have a few, last few minutes for folks. Um, this is just part one, like I said, part one of many of this conversation. Um, there might be another time where people ask me questions, so you might interview me one day. We'll see. Um, I'll, uh, <laughs> but if 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 you know if, if folks had to take one thing from this story, and I know there could be many things you can you can elaborate if you want, but what would you like people to take away from this story? Um, it's it's an open question. It's interesting because I think. For, um, I don't know, I don't know, like we have told our stories in a bunch of different forms and I've never actually thought about what I want people to take away from it, but I guess the biggest thing I would say is you just, you, you really, you never know what will happen, right? Um, and so the one thing that Buba and I have always tried to do is to um, fill our lives with meaning in terms of like what we do, whether it's it's Buba's project, sort of. For me, it's, you know, my work. Um, and then now, like, we have these three kids, um, and they eclipse everything. They eclipse everything. So they keep us going. But it's it's really hard to tell what the future brings. So just try to, oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite pics of them. Um, so, like, living for... Yeah, living for today, um, finding the things that fulfill you, like in the present, are important because things can change anytime. And it's funny because when the pandemic hit, I feel like we and I were like relatively unfazed by it. Because <laughs> um, for us, we had already had our like pandemic moment a couple of times. So, yeah, it's all about like resilience and just finding meaning in your present life, day-to-day. Day. Thanks, babes. Um, these are our men, but um, we have a few more minutes. I think I'll, um, 
I didn't get, you know, we, we, it's a long story. We didn't get to say much, but I think we'll, I'll want to hear from uh, Meme. If Meme want to give us a few words and then maybe in that order, um, I see Dr. Nicole on the call. I'd love to have you too. Um, say a few words. And Meme, I don't know if you sit in Pepe, but feel free to, to ask him to say a few words. So Meme, Dr. Nicole, and then I see Cameron here, who's your brother. Um, I'd love to hear from you guys. And then, so Meme, uh, can you kick us off with, uh, I guess, some of the wisdom and some of the comments you might have? And then we'll, uh, we'll start wrapping up. What did you take from this story or what would you like folks to take from this story? Um, it's, it's, it's a sort of complex question for me, but I think, Boba, being around you and watching you on this journey has really given me some insights into how one can face adversity and just sort of just keep going, never giving up. I mean, I know sometimes you get depressed and stuff, but unless I read that on your blog, I wouldn't know it's from dealing with you one-on-one. So that attitude and that smile and that will to sort of make the best of every day, make the best of every opportunity, not giving up and being the best booba you can be, not just for you, but for you, the boys and for Des and um, your family has really been an inspiration for me. Um, I don't know many people that would be able to face what you're facing and still have that megawatt smile going all the time. So, so yeah, yeah. So um, that's one takeaway. I also think that Desi is absolutely amazing and she is a blessing, not just to me, but to you and to um, as mother of those boys. They don't know how absolutely fortunate and blessed they are. So um, watching both of you do this is really an inspiration. Thanks so much, Meme. I mean, we call you MVP, um, and you know why. So um, none of this will have been done without without you being part of the team. I think, um, and, and you're the captain, and and we appreciate you a lot. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we appreciate your your your, your sidekick. <laughs> appreciate all of you. Thank you so yeah. much. Oh, you're welcome. Hi, doctor. Hi, Desmond Buba. Thank you so much for. Um, how transparent and beautiful your uh, sharing of your journey has been. This has been wonderful, wonderful way to set, spend a Sunday afternoon. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, you know, I have to say, so I met, uh, Des, I met, I met your mom when I was in my 20s. And um, I think, you know, what your story tells me is how much our journeys are connected for all of us. And sometimes in ways that we don't even, we don't fully understand. Um, I was uh, a young resident and your mom was so kind to me and um and served me mango sorbet which i've never forgotten (laughs) 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 and to this day i'm grateful for that mango sorbet and so um we lost touch for many years and i remember one day i just I, i was you know saying my morning prayers and something just said um pray for joyce and her family and I didn't fully understand why, um, but I started praying for Joyce and her family. And, um, and somehow we connected after that. And that's when I heard what had happened. And, um, and so, uh, Buba, I've been praying for you before I ever met you. 
and your family. And so I, I think, you know, what your story um, uh, shares with us is that there's so many, our village is much greater than we ever imagined. There's so many people who we don't know are out there praying for us and, um, you know, and, and giving us words that we don't even fully understand, like the three-hour taxi um, uh, cab driver who is, you know, literally giving on-the-spot mindfulness, mindfulness techniques that were so needed in that moment. So, so yeah, so thank you. I think that your story and your sharing of your story is so healing for, for, for many of us. Anybody who hears your story and who knows you both will be blessed um, because, you know, this is your, your life journey is everybody's life journey. You know, we, you know there, there, there are life circumstances that try to knock us over. And um, the way that you both have exhibited your, your resilience and your love of family and friends and community um, is 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 going to help so many people. So thank you for that. Thank you, Doctor. Thanks, Doctor. <laughs> and and Doctor Singh continues to uh, to advise me, and and I guess the rest of our group on closing the gap is like, how many doctors are you? So many, and the medical students. Um, so thanks a lot for that too. And so beyond the health part, beyond the family support community, and you supporting us a lot. So thanks a lot. I think I'll let uh, Sean give us a word. Uh, and then Odile can also give us a word. Uh, Cameron is also here. Sorry. Cameron, Sean, Odile, and I will go. No, I don't have much to say. I just uh, came on. I was uh, listening. I have a few children coming in and out, so I, I kind of heard half the story, but it was uh, definitely um, um, eye-opening, and I got a chance to I – guess, I guess I was a little ignorant about how long um, or how, how, how difficult the journey was for a spouse, and so I definitely appreciate it. Des to hear um, just uh, your viewpoint and um, and uh, it was um, definitely um, something that uh, gives gives uh, me as a spouse something to think about if I ever have to go through uh, hopefully never have to go through uh, that that much of a journey like that but you know um, it really is better for uh, better or worse and um, and uh, yeah don't have much more to say. Except for I really do enjoy flying with two-year-olds, so I don't know, really know what the complaint is. <laughs> Come, so give us those, some secrets, but yeah. <laughs> for those on the call, you won't know this, but Cam and I have, have like, we have kids at the same time. So when we found out about Barack, um, Cam called me, like, a couple weeks later and, and told me um, that he was having twin boys, right? And then... Uh, when we found out about our twins, he was having a baby girl. So, <laughs> Pam, I'm going to let these kids fly with you next time, okay? Oh, uh, please. The more the merrier. We have a great time. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. <laughs> hey, Sean. Hey, Booba and Des and Dr. Singh and all the other amazing people who, you know, on this call. It's definitely great to listen. I, I've asked Booba a couple times about his other half, of course. You know, we don't talk about her like your other half, but uh, to see, you know, what it takes, uh, I, I definitely have been down this road. Um, it's a hard burden for Des. It's a hard burden for Booba to let love someone buff you. It's a hard burden to let children see you suffer. I mean, all these things we don't think about much, but when you're in it, you know, each little second can can be the most magnificent moment, right? And the most special thing. And 
you see this beauty and uh, you know I, I look at Des and it's it's amazing uh, you know I, I'll say this one thing this is one thing that my doctors have had with me for many many years and it's by Sir uh, Osler uh, if I get this wrong uh, Dr. Singh can correct me but Sir William Osler was a doctor who founded John Hopkins and he wrote the good physician treats the disease. The great physician treats the patient who has the disease. I would probably add to that the spouse that is with you shares in that just as much. And so there's all the, you know, hats off to you. It's, Sean, uh, Sean is another hard patient. is amazing. So um, they will get to know you soon, Sean. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for coming today. Always. Hi, Odile. Hi. Um, thank you both for sharing your, your view of this, this long, painful, sometimes funny journey. You officially a uh, club of my member, the Warrior Woman. <laughs> I loved it. I really loved it. Uh, I wish you the two the best for the rest of the journey. Um, thank you again for sharing. Stop again. <laughs> Merci, Odile. Thank you. Um, so, likely, I didn't, I didn't mimic Pepe. Um, so, Pepe is uh, Meme's husband. Meme is uh, my mother-in-law. And um, so, there was a name here, LB. I should have guessed this from Pepe. I know. Uh, but that's the that best part. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know why I didn't click. Um, I can't even have an excuse. But that that's to to kind of save my, myself. Um, uh, I would say that the grandkids here, yeah. uh, but no, Pepe. Um, I think the good part is you get to close this conversation. So, um, can you please, um, yeah, give us some comments, some some wisdom, and then um, we'll we'll wrap up after that. But yeah, and um, and also yeah, maybe what what you like folks to take from this story. Sure. Um, so. It's it's been um, I think a life changing uh, experience um, for all of us um, for um, you know for Desiree in particularly I I, um, I I would say that I um, I raised Des um, Des and I have spent more time than I had with my um, two biological sons. And, um, you know, she is a part of me. Um, I consider her, um, a daughter that I, you know, I, I didn't conceive, but she is, you know, much a part of me as, um, as my two sons are. Um, and I, um, you know, I, I, um, have gone through all of her. Um, life experiences that she shared with me. And, um, when she, uh, introduced, um, Booba, um, into the family, it, um, you know, it, it was, um, you know, a shock. You know, most dads don't want their daughters, you know, to, to, um, to go off and, um, and be who they are meant to be. And you just want to hold on. But, um, you know, it's, it's been quite an experience, quite a journey. 
um, a trip for, you know, um, several lifetimes and, um, you know, something that I, I have, um, grown to embrace and, um, you know, enjoyed the time. Um, I enjoyed my time in Africa with Des and with Barack and now with the twins and with Buba and, um, you know, the struggles that he's going through and how, um, you know, he's taken all the knocks. Every time he gets knocked down, he bounces back up and just seems to be stronger each, you know, through each of um, the rounds of uh, whatever uh, comes his way. So, you know, to everyone out there who's listening, um, you know, um, just uh, take a lesson of, about perseverance and um and how to deal with um you know with hardship it, it's it's been quite an interesting journey and i think we will um you know continue to see the fight and um you know great positive outcome from it thanks Pepe. um i'm really touched by these words and you always get it get, yeah you always said the right words so thanks so much um thanks Des, thanks for joining and thanks for sharing your story. I would really like to thank you and I'm sure you come back again, hopefully. Um, but yeah, maybe um, if you had any last word for us and you want to say thank you and goodbye to everybody. But on my part, I really, um, this is great. It's always therapeutic, always learn more. And um, it's also my way of saying thank you to everybody. Um, that's what Heart of a Giant is about because, you know, you guys have all that big hearts. Um, but none of this would have been done possible without you. And I wouldn't even be able to see any of the joy or any of the good parts. So thanks a lot. Thanks for everything. Hi, Des. Wrap it up and we'll say goodbye and let people go have some drinks or something. Yeah, I just want to say thanks for having me. And I love you. I love everyone on this on the call, everyone in the village, everyone in the family. Just thank you so much. Because, um, yeah, it takes, it takes a village, if not several, <laughs> to do this. So thank you. Love you, babe. Love, Love you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And I'll see you next time. We are reminded that we are all connected through our experiences of friends, family, and community. We thank our guests for your generosity of heart, looking beyond your sorrows to share your journeys and inspire others. And thank you for listening to this episode. We hope it did your heart good. Visit us online for more resources at heartofagiant.org.